Well, good morning, everyone. If you're a guest here, my name's Mark as well. So not wanting to mess with everybody with all these marks around here. Uh, I do spell it correctly with a C in case that matters. Um, welcome. I'm part of the teaching team, one of the pastors here. We're glad that you've joined us on this beautiful winter, almost hopefully spring-like day today. So I want to talk to you about making progress in your spiritual life and how that's going. Some of us may have made some commitments at the beginning of the year. Maybe it was recently making some new commitments. Maybe some of us have found ourselves repeatedly frustrated in this whole area of making progress. We're not sure if we actually are making progress. Sometimes we feel like we may be going in the wrong direction. Sometimes uh, it's hard in life and the progress so slow that we wonder if it's worth it, if it's actually making any difference, and we're tempted to perhaps just give up on this whole thing of this adventure of walking with Jesus in life and growing to be more like him. So how's it going? Are you stuck? Do you know what it takes to, to see progress? Do you know the things that actually could keep you from making progress? The Apostle Paul is very concerned about the progress of his friends at the church he planted back in Philippi, this Roman colony, 2,000 years ago. He founded the church, he was their pastor, and he reminds the church early on in the book that God's committed to their progress. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that the God who began the good work in you is the God who's going to bring it to completion. He's mindful of their progress, and he's committed to making it happen. He says, reflecting on the imminency of his own death, man, if I were to die right now and to be with Christ, that's better by far. But whether I live or die, I'm, I'm going to do it all for Christ. But here's what I know. It's better right now, more necessary, that I stay for these reasons. Here's how he puts it in chapter 1, verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I'll continue with all of you for what? Your progress and joy in the faith. He is going to be talking to the church back in Philippi, and because it's a living, active word to us today about making progress. He says to Timothy in his letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, make sure that you let them see your progress. The Christian life is not about arriving. It's about progressing by the grace of God. And we want to talk today about what are the things that have us stuck and what are the things that can move us forward. And so in simple terms, he's going to say, don't give up in verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2. In fact, just grab your Bibles. We're in Philippians chapter 2, the back half today, verses 12, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 30. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, towards the back of your Bible. If you need to use the table of contents, great place to go. If you uh, aren't used to bringing a Bible to church, there's Bibles in the back. We're going to be working through this text and if you don't have it on your phone, just get up and grab one of those Bibles. You, you won't be bothering anyone. So in the first two verses, he's going to say, one of the reasons that we 
we don't make progress is because we give up. And so he says, don't give up. And he's going to talk about the importance of perseverance. He's going to talk about the importance of partnership with God, that we're in this together with him. He's going to talk about the importance of taking responsibility for our own spiritual progress. And then in verses 14 through 18, he's going to say in a short phrase, don't give in. Don't give in to the sinful, selfish desires. And he points out two of them. This kind of grumbling and arguing, complaining and fighting attitude. And here he's going to talk about the importance of extending grace and cultivating this attitude of gratitude. And then finally, in the, in the last section where he highlights two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus, he, he says, I want you to watch and I want you to follow these godly examples, the importance of having role models, spiritual heroes in our life that we can look to, that point the way. We don't worship them, but, but we imitate them even as they're imitating Christ. So we start in this section, verses 12 and 13, which is all about not giving up. Therefore, verse 12, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For, because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I love the tenderness of Paul. He's their pastor. He's their shepherd. He's not a bully. He's not into guilt tripping. He calls them friends. He's got some important things to talk about that could be tripping them up right now. But he encouraged them. He says, look, I just want to commend you that while I was with you and now that Epaphroditus has come to visit me and brought the gifts that you sent along, he's given me this report that you're still obeying and trusting Jesus and walking with him. So I want to commend you for these things. And then he gives the clear command. And so keep doing that. I want you not to stop. I want you not to give up, but I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation. Because there's this whole construct that a lot of us have had or may be stuck in right now where we go, oh, I get it. I need to work for my salvation. Because you don't get anything in life without working for it. Nothing's free. And so how could it be any different with God? I got to bring my good works to the table. I need to have more good works in my life than not so good works in my life. And just as long as the tail, the scales tip in my favor, I'm good. The Bible talks about its grace. He highlights that they have a partnership in the grace of God. Chapter 1, verse 7. He's going to make it crystal clear in other sections, like this section in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace. Grace is a free gift. It's unmerited favor from God. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, your salvation, your faith, God's grace. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, his masterpieces is that word handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he didn't say, work for your salvation. He says, work it out. 
work it out. The NLT puts it this way in their translation, New Living Translation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So remember when we were doing math problems? You know, I tutor fifth grade math. That's as far as I can go. But remember, we had those math teachers who said, I don't want to just know what the answer is here. I want you to show what? Show your work. Paul saying, the Holy Spirit prompting, look, it's not enough to say, the answer to everything is Jesus. All the time, every day, no matter what you're facing, it's Jesus. He says, I want you to show that it's Jesus. I want you to demonstrate this life of faith, your salvation through Christ, your Savior, what it means to know him, to love him, to serve him. Show the work. Work out your salvation. Keep obeying. Don't give up. Don't give up. And so it's a command that reminds us that it's our responsibility. And he tells us why it is that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Always pay attention. Oftentimes it's at the first part of a verse or the first part of a phrase of that little word, that so that, that because, that therefore, that for. Those are like signposts as we're going through a passage. And so he, he gives us the grounds of why we should keep working at, out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because, for, what? Well, because God's at work in us. And this is like, oh my word. This is the surprise. We were expecting because God is honored when we do that. Because it'll go better in your life if you do that. Which are both true. But he says, the reason we should keep on working out our salvation with fear, this this reverence and wonder and awe, this humility, is because God is at work within us both to will and to act for his good purposes, or sometimes it's translated for his good pleasure. Why should we be working out? Because God is working in. He's committed to us. We're in a partnership. And so he says, look, God has done it all when he sent Jesus Christ. That was where we just came out of, right? Chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. Jesus Christ has done it all. I love the end of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, Jesus is meditating on Psalm 22 when he's on the cross. How do we know that? Because he quotes it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you start reading Psalm 22, read it this week. You're gonna get blown away. It's talking about the sufferings that someone would endure through crucifixion a thousand years before Jesus is crucified. And at the end of the psalm, as as it's anticipating the sufferings of Christ, the psalm ends with, God has done it. And, and Paul's saying, look, I just told you, Christ has done it. He, he, he remember, he, he was God, but he, but he didn't leverage his deity for his own advantage. Remember, he became nothing as he emptied himself and he took on human flesh, but he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant and he was obedient to his father all the way to the end, to death on a Roman cross. He's done it. And Paul says, he's doing it, and he's inviting us to join him. So keep at it. Don't give up. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I love what God supplies. 
And so let's just remember this. God never asks us to do something. He never requires us to do anything that he doesn't give us the necessary equipment. He supplies what he requires. So what does it say? God is working in you. That's not just me. That's us. Remember, we were talking about the importance of reading the yous correctly in the New Testament. Most of the yous are plural, and we hear them with our American ears as they're singular. It's talking about me. Well, it is talking about you. But first of all, it's talking about us. And, and, and so what is God doing in you? What does it say here? He's working in you both to will and to act for his good purpose. So what's the will about? When you will something, there is something that changes where you go, I want that, I desire that. He gives us the desire. And when it says both to will and to act, he gives us the strength then to fulfill the desire. How many times have we had just the, the, the right idea, the, the, the right, oh man, we just want to do these things, right? But it doesn't happen. But he gives us both the desire and the power to do these things. So last week we were talking about, you know, we want to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is that we would give our lives away in humble service to other people. And so last week you walked out of here and you went, I want to do that. I want to be more like that because selfish ambition, vain conceit, this me-centeredness is, is just too much about me. And I don't want to do that. I, I desire to have Christ's mindset, to be a humble servant. And so you know what? This, this week, God gave you the desire and the ability. And that grumpy boss that every other day you've just been trying to stay out of his or her way, hey, you were there to humbly serve. Your, your aging parent who doesn't even recognize you anymore, humbly serving. That coworker who's been backbiting and undermining what you're doing, you actually had the desire and the strength to move towards them and serve. There's a family in the church that, that reached out to a needy family because they said, you know what? The nest is empty. We don't need the van anymore. And church, give it to somebody who needs it. God gave you the desire, and he's given us the strength to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we have an invitation every day to work out our faith with God. So you probably have, eh, maybe you don't, but maybe you should, or maybe you know someone who does, have like this personal trainer person in their life, you know. We all were kind of big fans of Bob Harper and Jillian Michael, Michaels, right? Biggest loser. But now, you know, Peloton's pretty big, and so you, maybe you got Robin, maybe you got Ben, maybe you got Billy Banks. I don't know who it is, but what I do know is they're here for a short time, folks. And their body's going to wear out. Bob's already had a how many heart attack, right? Bypass, man, big time, right? It, they're not going to be around forever, but God's been around forever, going to be around forever. He's the God who made us, who knows us, who's committed to us, who's merciful to us when we fall off the wagon, and he's committed and in inviting us to work out our salvation with him. It's his responsibility. It's our responsibility. And he's invited us into this partnership. And it's awesome. Every day, we can be working out, knowing that what he's calling us to work out, he's working in. He's giving us the will. He's giving us the strength. 
And so we keep going. We stay in it. Working out our salvation is all about staying at it, about perseverance. This obedience that keeps trusting God, taking him at his word. I love Eugene Peterson, how he puts it in one of his book titles. A long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And we do it together. When we talk about our our, uh, third value, the richness of community, growing together in Christ, that's what we're talking about. When we keep hitting groups, get in a group. It's because that's where we grow best. This is something that we're to do in partnership with God and with each other. And there's no excuses. No excuses for a lack of progress because God says, I'm supplying you with with the essentials that you need to progress in your faith journey. The desire and the power. No excuses. So do you feel like giving up? Well, there's a lot of reasons why the church in Philippi could have. Paul, man, it was so much easier when you were here. You were awesome, and you were inspiring, and you're not here anymore, and it's just hard. Not only you're not here, but, man, there is some stuff that's here. There's opposition here, and it's not popular to be a Christ follower, and we're getting hammered, and we feel like giving up. And there are a lot of things that could get us to that place today. You feel like giving up, like we're not making any progress, like it's not working anymore. I don't feel it. He says, don't, don't give up. God's not giving up. He's not giving up. And every day, he's going to give you what you need that day, the desire and the strength to take another step with him. So he says, don't give up. And then when you turn to uh, verse 14, he starts talking about, don't give in. Because if anything's going to stop your progress, it's giving in to these selfish, sinful patterns. And he highlights arguing and fighting. and Arguing and complaining. So he, he says, look, th- these are things that are, he's, he didn't just pick them out of a hat. He's been talking about these things, right? He's been talking about it, about the teachers, Right? And we've been talking about they've got envy and they're marked with rivalry and selfish ambition. In chapter 2, verse 3, he talked about selfish ambition and vain conceit and considering yourself more important than others and valuing yourself as the ultimate priority. And here he's saying, look, that, that is a, that'll just stop all progress for us as individuals and together as a church. I was listening to a little Jack Johnson this past week. He's a musician. He had a great lyric. And it goes like this. I don't care about your me first, give me, give me appetite. Me first, give me, give me appetite. Paul calls that selfish ambition, vain conceit. That just stunts growth. That stops progress because we turn inward all we're concerned about is ourselves if anybody messes with our world and the comforts that we want to have in this world man we're pushing against that there's no flow of grace through us and so there's no growth of grace in us don't do it he says don't do it 
And not only that, will it stop your own progress, it'll keep us as a church from doing what we need to do. So look what he says. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Zero tolerance. Stunts growth that keeps us from shining and accomplishing the mission of God. So some of us who grew up in the church remember this song. You ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Then we, 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 there was a verse that went, won't let Satan it out. Remember that? I'm going to let it shine. Then there's another verse that said, won't hide it under a bushel. And then all the kids love to yell, no! You heard that song. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, when, when you start grumbling and arguing, this is going on. That's what's going on. He's winning, the enemy. What's he about? Stealing, killing, destroying, the father of lies. He says, don't do it. We're to, we're to shine. We're to shine. Grumbling and comp complaining has been an issue with God's people all the way back to the very beginning of God's people. And I'm thinking especially that when he puts those two words together, when he puts together the words of grumbling and arguing, it's hard to say that he wasn't thinking about Numbers chapter 14 where the people of Israel coming out of Egypt have been mumbling and grumbling from like day one when they run out of water and when they don't have any food. And, and it keeps going and going. And, and Numbers 14, it's at the height of it. I mean, it's at the very height of it when the 12 spies come back and they give the report. Guys, these dudes are huge. Their cities are even bigger. We're grasshoppers in their eyes, and we're all going to be wiped out. And it says that they wept all night. And then in the morning, they started grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And they said, if only we had died in Egypt, if only we had died here in the wilderness, it would be far better. We need to go back to Egypt and we need to get a better leader. And so they're ready to literally stone and kill Moses and Aaron, the very guys that led them out of Egypt, that freed them and across the dry ground of the Red Sea. And God says, how long can they show contempt, hatred? How long can they refuse to believe? He says, I'm gonna send a plague, Moses. I'm gonna wipe them all out and I'm starting over with you, Mo. I'm gonna do a Noah thing with you. And Moses says, don't do that, Lord. For the glory of your own name, for your reputation among the people, who have heard that you are an awesome God who's delivered miraculously your people from Egypt. Don't do it. And he pleads for God's mercy and God forgives them. But then God says, I'm gonna give them their wish. You say it's better to die in the wilderness 
than to go into the promised land that I'm giving you? I'm going to grant your wish. I'm going to grant your wish. And he says, here's what's going to happen. Everybody 20 and older is going to be buried here in the wilderness, except for two of those spies who were full of faith, Caleb and Joshua. This is a problem. And it's a problem where we refuse to believe in the goodness of God. In other words, there's something far more at stake with our grumbling and our moaning and our complaining and our agitation and our fighting with each other that actually Moses said it and God said it. It's not what you think it is. You think it's about these circumstances. You think it's about this church. You think it's about these people. It's actually fundamentally about me. And you don't trust me. You don't think I'm good. And you're refusing to believe and trust me in the midst of hard circumstances. Proverbs 22:11 says, "The one who loves a pure heart and speaks words of grace will have the king for a friend." Paul says, "I want you to treat each other like friends. I want you to extend grace, and the grumbling and the arguing, that's not cutting it. You need to shine like stars as you hold firmly to the word of life which John, 1 John 1.1 1, 1 tells us is Christ, the word of life. So I was thinking about this phrase, shining like stars in the sky. And I thought of my friend Anne. We call Anne our adopted Chinese daughter. She was an international student that we befriended here at Door Creek. And she was doing some postdoctoral work here at UW and PhD in astrophysicist in astrophysics from Harvard, just like, huge brain and I'm going how does how does Anne read these verses what's going through Anne's mind because I remember going up to Door County with Anne and she's blown away by just the dark sky just lit up with all the stars how does how does Anne see this and so uh, she texted me back let me just read you some of the things that she said so good She said, stars shine on time scales so much longer than their lifespan, right? In other words, they keep shining after they're gone, so to speak. That's cool, shining like stars in the sky. That that our lives would make such a mark that they'd keep having an impact on other people. She said, stars in the night sky were used for navigation and direction, right? like that star of Bethlehem, right, that led the the, the wise men to Jesus uh, so that when we shine like stars, we're pointing the way. We're we're showing people who Jesus is, pointing the way to Jesus, but how to live your life and how to navigate life in this crooked, twisted, messed up, broken place called the world that we live in. And then she went on to observe stars shine in so many different ways, come in so many different sizes and colors. So many stars in the universe, hard to keep track, and impossible to study them all. But like hair on our head, God keeps track of everything and keeps everything in order. So how do we shine like stars? Well, we don't give in to these easy, selfish, sinful patterns of complaining 
and arguing. We don't give in to that, but we're holding firmly to Christ, the word of life, and believing that all the promises of God are true. And when we do, this purity of life, this innocence, this blamelessness, it allows us to shine, to shine well beyond our lifespan, well well in ways that any GPS could never do, help people find direction in life for their life. And, and so, you know, is that going on? Is, is there, this is the example that he wanted to raise. It was an issue in the church there. Maybe that's not the issue, but the, but the general pattern could be, are there selfish, sinful patterns in my life that's keeping me from growing and taking the next step? So I want to encourage us to take the uh, gratitude challenge. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in most circumstances. Oh, that's not it. Give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ. So end every day, or start every day thinking about the day before, and write down, identify three things that you can thank God for. You just get used to this, that I'm always looking for. We're, we're developing this attitude of gratitude. So, so do that. Express thanks regularly. Verbally express thanks to the person who serves you at lunch, to the person who held the door open, gave you a bulletin, serving your kids. Express thanks. Write it. Text it. Right? Call someone. Express thanks. Include thanksgiving in your prayer life. He's going to talk about that in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and how that's the key to having God's peace cover our anxiety, thanksgiving. And explore what lies beneath it. In other words, there's mumbling and grumbling going on in Numbers 14 with God's people. What's going on? Well, he says what's going on is they're, they're refusing to believe. So what are we refusing to believe that the word of life, Christ, addresses? We could say one of the things that was going on is they were afraid. They just heard the report. If we go into the promised land, these dudes are Goliaths. And they didn't know about Goliaths then, but we'll call them Goliaths. And and they're going to kill us because we're like grasshoppers, they said, in their eyes. Right? And so they were afraid. But, but Jesus, in holding firmly the word of life, reminds us, right, that, that he's our good shepherd, right? And that we don't have to be afraid, even if we're walking into the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, because he's there with us. He's going to bring us through it, because he's been to the other side, and he's going to strengthen us. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's, man, I, I, I'm, I'm in such a bad place, because I am so filled with guilt and regret over the past, and we, we got to hold firmly to Christ, the word of life, who, remember, tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all that crap in our life, right? All unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9, right? Or we remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man or woman is in Christ, faith in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is past. All things have become New. Keep going. Don't just identify, yeah, I'm kind of a grumpy old man right now. Why are you grumpy? Keep going and see how Christ addresses that. Maybe it's the suffering 
that you're in right now. We remember that God works all things together for good. It didn't say all things are good. He works it for good. And if you could take the worst thing, the cross, and make it the best thing, our salvation, then there isn't any hard thing we're going. And so we can like, and that was Romans 8, 28, or we can just do what, what James tells us, Jesus' brother, count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds, right? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, spiritual muscle. We need that resistance of the trial to build up the faith in our lives. And perseverance, he says, when it's finished its work, will make us complete and mature like Jesus, not lacking in anything. So don't give up. Don't give in. And then he says, watch. Watch the right people. And you imitate them. You follow them. You welcome them and you honor them. So in verses 19 through 30, he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. First Timothy, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So remember, this is before cell phones, right? All right, we're all there. It would take a long time to get news. I have no one else like him. That, like, underline that. That is, like, awesome. Can you imagine that being said of us by the Apostle Paul? I have no one else like him. But it raises the question, what are you talking about, Paul? He tells us, who will show genuine concern, not just concern, genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's not like everyone else. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So there's Timothy. Timothy, we find out in the book of Acts, joins Paul on his second missionary journey. He's got three missionary journeys. And at the end of his first missionary journey, there's a fallout with Barnabas and John Mark, Barnabas' cousin. And in steps Timothy into the partnership. And he joins Paul in his second missionary journey where he goes back to the churches they've planted to strengthen the churches. Go back to verse 1 and notice that when Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, he mentions Timothy, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. He's not only mentioned here in Philippians, he's mentioned in Colossians, in 2 Corinthians, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He's got two letters written to him, 1 and 2 Timothy. He was this stellar worker. He calls him his partner, his fellow worker, his brother, but the terms of affection he uses is, he, he's, he's my son like a son, like a child who's had this great reputation and this great track record. I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for the welfare of others, specifically yours, church in Philippi. These are the kinds of people we need to watch out for. The people who have a genuine concern for the well-being, the welfare of others. People who have Christ's mindset right, who are putting the interests of others before themselves, who are valuing them as more important than themselves. 
No one else like him. He's not like everyone else. He's looking out for Christ's interest. He's proven himself as he's worked with me. You go back to Acts 17 and you see all the messes that Paul is getting into, the mobs, the rioting, the opposition, the beatings, and everything that's going on. And you go, man, Timothy could have said, Paul, I had no idea. Like it was gonna be such a violent thing just kind of doing God's work with you. Man, I don't have a stomach for this stuff. I'm going home. And when you get home, tell me what happened. Oh, he stuck it out. He was there at his side through thick and thin. And like his name, which means honoring God, he honored God. And Paul says, watch that guy. And watch guys like that. Then he, then he says, and then Epaphroditus, whose name means charming, or we might use the word winsome. In verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked, the word there is a calculated risk. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. So who's Epaphroditus? Well, he was a member of the church at Philippi. When they heard that Paul was in Rome and in big trouble, they all wanted to go and help Paul, but they couldn't. So they sent, they sent Epaphroditus to be their representative, to go take care of Paul. And, and he came with gifts, chapter 4, verse 18. Probably some of those were financial gifts, so that while he was under house arrest, he could take care of things. We know that he had a heart affection, this guy Epaphroditus, for the people. And it was, it was coming out because he was just so troubled by the fact that the word got out that he'd almost died. We don't know how he almost died. Maybe it was in his travels that he almost got sick. All we know is he almost died as he risked his life to go help Paul. And so he felt bad that they heard about it and didn't know that he's better. And so he longs to go back and let them know. And so Paul says, I'm sending him back because it's messing me up too because Epaphroditus is a mess and you guys are in a mess and I feel responsible if I keep here any longer. So I'm sending him back, I'm sending him back. And then he says something surprising. Make sure you welcome him back with joy. Come on, Paul. Of course, they're going to welcome him back. It's Epaphrodites. He's a member of the church. Why are you saying that? Because maybe, just maybe, Paul's concerned that in sending him back, the people of Philippi are going, uh-oh, something happened. What happened? Maybe he failed Paul. Maybe he failed us in not doing what we wanted him to do. Like, we sent you over there to take care of Paul. And you're telling us he's still under arrest and his life is hanging in the balance? He says, welcome him back with joy. See, we live in a cynical age, and I think this started a long time ago. They were cynical of Moses. How many thousands of years ago was that? 
It's just in human nature. It's in human nature to maybe judge a leader, to maybe not welcome him, to raise a cynical eyebrow and go, hmm, hmm, what's the rest of this story? <laughs> I remember Neil, Neil Nielsen, he, he worked on our staff at College Church, PhD in philosophy, taught at Bethel University, uh, was this, was really successful as a uh, money investor in Chicago, came and worked on staff. This great guy, great heart for Christ. And he gets recruited by Covenant College to be their president. And the scuttlebutt was, hmm, what else don't we know? What happened? I'm going, what do you mean what happened? He got called by God to serve as a president of a college. Why are you looking for the story? Because it's in our nature. It's in our nature. Another thing that's in our nature is to worship. Worship these people. He didn't say worship. He said welcome with joy and honor them. You know how you honor them? Is we follow them. Paul will say, imitate me even as I imitate Christ, 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He's going to say this in chapter 3, verse 17. He's going to say, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Honor him and all those like him. He didn't mess up. Don't judge him. Welcome him. Don't give in to cynicism. Honor, and how you honor is you don't just note it. You follow that godly example. And the godly examples in Philippi included the beautiful woman, Lydia, who planted that, who opened up her heart and then her home so when Paul planted the church, it met in her house. Who are we to honor? The people who consider others welfare, their top priority. People who are willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. People who have the mind of Christ, who aren't given in to selfish ambition. These are two guys that have been working out their salvation with fear and trembling. These are two guys who have refused to, to give in to these sinful, selfish ways. These are guys who are servants, Watch these guys to follow them. And I wonder who it is that we're putting on, you know, our watch list right now. Who are the people that we're watching? And are the kinds of qualities that, that God's describing right here in Timothy and in, in Epaphroditus, the kinds of things that we've got our eye on? Or have we lost our way here? And, and would Paul say of us, to other believers, watch that guy, watch that woman. Wow. By the grace of God, they're imitating Christ, and you keep following them, and you imitate them. I'm grateful for the godly models that I've had in my life. And I just want to quickly tell you about Uncle Awald. Uncle Awald Kaiser married my dad's sister after his first wife died, I believe it was a car accident, leaving him with five young children. So that's how I got to know Uncle Awald as he married Aunt Lulu, Lucien. Uncle Awald was an engineer. He was a very humble man. 
I had an opportunity to live with him when I was 11 years old in the summer of 1969. Yeah, you just did the math. <laughs> 62 this year. All right. I never heard, and granted, I wasn't with him every day, but you get, this stuff is the stuff, it doesn't take long to hang around a person to figure it out. I never heard him say a critical word. I never heard him have an unkind word or an unkind thought. Someone who was generally concerned about the welfare of others, that was Uncle Awald. We maybe hadn't seen him in a year. I remember after Lori's mom had lost her husband, Lori's dad died at ALS, he would go right up to Lori and say, how's your mom doing? Just connect all the time. So in his engineering world, he, um, he did some work back in the 70s for the Shah of Iran. Building the, he was an engineer that built these glass domes. His company did the domes in Milwaukee. Botanical garden there. And um, he came back and he says, you know, I want to learn Arabic so I can start talking to the people I work with about Jesus. It's just this guy. He kind of ran an Airbnb before there were Airbnbs. So the, the little group that he hung out with were called the Plymouth Brethren. And, it, and they lived just outside of O'Hare. And if anybody from the Plymouth Brethren from anywhere around the world was coming through Chicago, they knew that Uncle Awell and Aunt Lulu would take him in. And he was green before we knew about being green. He had the biggest garden in Chicago. He was serving dandelion salad, and he wasn't putting any fertilizers on his lawn a long time ago. And we chuckled. He lived till he was 102. Thought maybe there's something to that. But the point Uncle Awald is, he was a godly example who was an engineer. He was a humble man. He was a guileless man. He was a kind man. I'm glad for those kinds of examples in my life. And we need to look for those. They're all around us. Sometimes we're looking for the wrong things. And sometimes we've got our eye on the wrong things when it comes to what does spiritual progress look like? And he's made it clear. Perseverance, don't give up. Godliness and obedience where we don't give in. We keep extending grace. May God help us to be those kinds of people who shine like stars in the sky. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for the models that you've placed in our life and how they pointed the way for us. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be a cynical people to think that those kinds of people couldn't exist. We, we bless you for the godly women and men of this church, of churches around this city, of churches around this world who have been working out their salvation with fear and trembling, who are shining for you. Lord, we want to be those kind of people. We want to be that kind of a church whose impact has a great impact today to give direction to people. But long after we're here, Lord, to keep shining for you. And so, Lord, free us from our own selfishness and sin patterns Break those. Thank you for giving us that desire right now and the strength to live in obedience a pure and blameless life. Help us to do that, Lord, for your honor and glory. And we bless you for Jesus, the one who, who picks us up off our feet, extends more mercy and forgiveness again, invites us 
to continue walking. Lord Jesus, we love you. May we walk in your steps this week, today, each day that you give us breath. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen.